Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. First off, a warm welcome to Amy M., the newest member of the Modern Manager community on Patreon. When you join the Modern Manager community on Patreon, you get access to robust episode guides, special bonuses from guests, and a lot more. So go to patreon.com slash modernmanager to join just like Amy did. The link is also in the show notes. Now, a few listeners have requested an interview with a real manager dealing with regular manager challenges. So thank you for that suggestion and for all the topic suggestions that you've submitted. If you want to suggest a topic, please do so. You can go to my website, mamieks.com, or you can message me on LinkedIn. So my guest today is Rick Kiley. Rick is a founding partner of Soho Experiential and an 18-year experiential marketing veteran. He has led the growth of the agency from its infancy to the 13-year-old award-winning group it is today. The company has built a strong reputation for excellence, ranking as one of the event marketers' top 100 agencies for nearly a decade. Rick has conceived and implemented groundbreaking experiential campaigns for clients such as Remy Cointreau, McAllen Scotch Whiskey, Citibank, Google Play, and many, many more. Rick and I talk about what it's like to be a manager, tackling challenges from hiring and firing, accountability, professional growth, and a lot more. A quick word of warning, there is one part where the language gets a little bit inappropriate for children, so if you're listening with young ones around, you should probably save this episode for another time. Now here's my interview with Rick. You're listening to The Modern Manager a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Thank you, Rick, for joining me today. I am really excited to talk with you, not only because we are friends, but also because this is a totally different kind of interview today because you are an actual real life manager. You run your own business. And most of my guests, as longtime listeners know, are experts in some particular topic. And you're kind of an expert in everything because you're actually living it. Expert in everything. Wow. I'm honored. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, clearly, I think very highly of you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay. Let's start by just hearing from you. Kind of tell me a little bit about your, your business in terms of the construct. Like, how many people do you have? Where are they located? How long have you been in business? Those kinds of things. Sure. So Soho Experiential was founded in 2005 by myself and my business partner, Jeff Bogus. And we started, it was, we actually had two other partners who were with the agency in the beginning who are no longer with us. Separate story, probably for a different day. But we started really just the two of us with, you know, a dollar and a dream and have built up the agency over this time to the point where we're now 13 years old. We have 30 full-time employees. We actually have a lot more because we have an intern program. So we have eight interns in the summer, uh, but normally about 30 full-time employees. And then because we produce events all across the country, we have 28 market managers. So the people that would execute events in different cities across the US, we execute in about 40 different cities and about 2000 plus promotional models. So you know, these are the people that would come in and work the events themselves, kind of engaging with consumers uh, on the programs we create for our clients. And we're producing about, you know, 10,000 events a year. 
uh, of all different shapes and sizes. So small like sampling events. So if you've ever gone to the grocery store and someone said, here, try my new cheese, or if you've gone to the wine store and someone says, hey, try this rosé today. We produce a lot of those types of uh, turnkey experiences across the country, and then some larger scale events as well, tours, touring properties, and PR-worthy events for a lot of different brands, a lot of in the alcohol beverage industry, some in the media industry, so work with NBC Universal and some of their properties, CPG, finance, Citibank's one of our biggest clients. So we're really lucky. We now have a really great client roster and have been very lucky to be able to grow the agency over the years. Uh, we don't have any contractors. I think, I don't know if you mentioned that because our industry is something that we exercise too much control, even on the part-time people that work for us. So we tell them when to show up and what to wear and what to say. And by definition, you can't classify someone like that as an independent contractor. So we are a giant human resource engine that is somehow operating with actually without a full-time human resource director. So you can ask me about that, but that's that's kind of one of the big things that um, happens in our in our agency now. All right. So let's talk about this massive amount of people who work part-time through these different events. To yeah. me, that's like a huge headache and thinking about trying to get all of these people to show up to, as you're saying, like, you know, speak on brand and do all of those things. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you ensure accountability? Yeah. So look, we're really lucky in that we have put in, into place a really good field marketing team. So we have field marketing leadership around the country. We have a VP here in our New York office, our headquarters. And then we have people who run different regions across the U.S. So I have someone in L.A., I have someone in Chicago, someone in Dallas, someone in Tampa, someone in D.C. They manage our market managers. Our market managers, That one of their primary tasks is to maintain and recruit promotional models. And we have a system that we have built called our events hub. Um, but when people are onboarded through a program, all of their, we actually, they go through human resource onboarding. So all the information that we need, and then they are uploaded into our event reporting hub. That means that they can be paid by us. So that's where we process our payroll because it's connected to when people work events. And then we also, we have implemented actually recently a really cool new training tool from that we use a company called Lessonly, which is really effective where we created video training modules for all the different programs that people work on. And what's really neat about it is like if we have 20 different brands, you know, there are certain modules, you know, our way of working, our processes for showing up and doing the reporting and putting in your payroll and and filling out paperwork, et cetera, that are pretty standard across the programs. So everyone has to kind of go through those training pieces, but then we can plug in the individual brand and program pieces. So this is how you set up the table and what the brand should look like when you talk, when you set it up. These are the key communications and the script that you use with consumers. So those modules people take individually and each one is completed. And then when they're completed, everybody has to pass a little test. It's pretty simple. If you've watched it, it's like a 10 question quiz, but you have to pass that quiz. And once you've passed that quiz, an indicator goes off that you can actually be staffed to work on a program for that's in your market. Oh, I love this. I love the way that you've really invested in giving people that information ahead of time and that it's 
multimedia. So not just like read this document or show up at this meeting and we'll like spit information at you. Yeah, the lesson lead piece is pretty new. We've actually found prior to this, the most effective thing was doing live training. And that's what we used to do. We used to sort of combine a casting call with a live training and like a little test at the end. And so it'd be kind of like, it's almost like an open casting call, you know, if you were ever involved in theater where you just can go in and do a monologue, you know, we just invite like people that fit the target demo that want to work events. Anyone could come in, they go through a training, they go through the training on the program. And if they could pass a quiz, they could be staffed on the program. So it's a little costly to keep doing that because we have to rent space. You, you pay people, you have to pay people to show up. This is, this has been much more efficient and, and the trainings live on a lot more. So it's a nice, it's a nice advance of our training program. So you just mentioned a little bit about how you're doing the hiring for these events. How do your hiring practices or what kind of hiring practices do you have for other roles in your business? Yeah, good question. So for the full-time roles, I mean, we do the work the way I think most companies probably traditionally do that in that we will first kind of go through our, our networking sort of round. Like if we know a position is going to come up, we will talk to our existing employees, talk to our clients, create a job description, pass around and see if anybody has a candidate. We are often most successful when we can get a personal recommendation from a trusted resource, from trusted client or trusted friend or trusted business associate. That doesn't always work. I mean, it actually, it's probably pretty rare that it works because of just the timing and the right fit. But we will go to other job placement resources. So we will use Indeed, we'll use LinkedIn, we'll use Glassdoor, and we'll post things on our own website, circulate it through our social channels as well. And we'll get gobs and gobs of resumes in and we try to cull through those resumes to find, you know, people that kind of fit the bill, go through a couple rounds of, of interviews depending on depending on the process. We've shied away from recruiters because of the cost, although we did right now we just hired a new business development person through a recruiter and it's probably I think it's the first time we've done that maybe in our history, just because we really wanted to find the right person in that in that role. But it's not not too dissimilar, I think, to the way most people go about it. So there are lots of different interview styles. Like for my business, I use something called learning from experience. And so we ask people to tell stories about past experiences they've been in and how they handled them. And we do it through a competency lens where we're looking at, for example, like, does this person deal well with ambiguity? Does this person stay calm under pressure? Or will this person stand up when they don't feel like something is ethical? So that's how we design all of our interviews and our questions. Do you have kind of a framework or a model that you use for developing your interview questions? We don't have a standardized template of, of interview questions per se, but, but Jeff and I and the others, we do clearly communicate the values of our agency, which has to do about honesty and transparency and accountability, a strong work ethic, but also a work-life balance. Like, you know, Jeff, Jeff and I approach this business as we do, you know, recognizing that people need to be fresh to be able to do a good job. We're both family people, so we want people to be able to enjoy things in life. But the work has to get done. And over the years, what I try to focus on hiring most for is really like two qualities. I want to find someone that is a problem solver. So I kind of give this speech a lot to people, especially like young people that start to work here. It's my three kinds of people in the world speech. There are three kinds of people in the world. Problem makers, who never last long anywhere. Problem identifiers, 
people who can look at something and say, that's not working, who are a dime a dozen, and then problem solvers who will look at something, recognize that it's not working, and come up and propose a couple solutions to doing so. So we are effective first and foremost if we can find people who are problem solvers. Like that, that is like the number one thing. And whenever anyone asks me like, why should I study math? Like when I'm young, I'm like, because it teaches you to be a problem solver and that's gonna work well in your life. So the problem solver is number one. And then the other piece, and this is a little bit harder to glean from an interview process. And it's one that we've sometimes made some mistakes in is we want people who will be accountable and what I mean by that is be willing to take a risk to make a choice to put their name on something. And if it doesn't work out, you know, learn from it and move on. The, the most troublesome thing for our history is when we've, hi- we've had individuals working for us who, if something goes wrong, they look to point fingers or blame another circumstance or individual or client rather than accepting their role in whatever happened. And it's something I try to live by too, because we have to lead by example. But our most successful employees are people who are accountable for their actions, and therefore are willing to take some risks because they know that it's, that it's okay, and who are problem solvers, not problem identifiers. I just feel like there, there were so many good nuggets in that. That was amazing. But can we, can we shift into like some like deep and scary stuff? Have you ever hired anyone where you're like, wow, we just made the biggest mistake. Like this person yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. Tell, tell us that. Tell us that story. Well, I mean, the first one was with a business partner, like in the very, very early stages when Jeff and I started this company, you know, we left our old agency and said, we can just go do this and make money on our own. But we weren't, for whatever reason, we just weren't confident that we were going to be able to generate the income. So we got paired up with this guy that we didn't know very well. And because we, he had some connections that we thought would materialize into business and they didn't. And his approach to business was, was not to show up, not to put in the work, was to like, you know, basically very like salesy, like my Rolodex will carry the day. I don't have to do any heavy lifting. And, and the breakup was costly at a time very early in our career where we didn't have a lot of money. And the breakup kind of happened when one day, you know, we kind of had a conversation and, and, I kind of directly asked him, like, you have no problem taking taking pay where you knowingly haven't put in the effort to deserve the money. He says, yeah, I have no problem with that. And like, that was one of those, like, I almost left across the table and and physically tried to do some damage. But it was, that was an error that we had to buy him out at a time when I had no money, you know, and, and because the company had a little bit of money, that was bad. More recently, we tried to put in place a couple of, senior leaders. I think the one I'll talk about, because I think it's the one that we kind of changed our approach the most, was we we were really convinced, this I think is 2013, 12, so five years ago now, that we needed some new creative blood. So most of the business development creative ideation had been led by Jeff and me probably through the first decade of the company. But we started getting older. The target consumer started to get a little younger. You know, the we're very much one type of demographic. We stopped going out as much, you know, being in the world. So we said, we're going to go hire a new executive creative director. So we did a search for an executive creative director and we hired a gentleman who had some background in the type of work we did, but came from a digital agency. We got a good recommendation on and he commanded a real hefty salary, you know, uh, a good salary. 
with incentives, with a, with a, even the first time I'd ever done it, like a golden parachute. So if we let him go, he gets money guaranteed on the way out. And you know, when he asked for that, that should have been like the first alarm bell in my mind. And we went through about nine months with him and it became evident very quickly because we pitched a bunch of business that he just didn't connect with what the client wanted. He liked his own ideas and only his own ideas, was not collaborative. And there are people who on our client service team for our clients who know what the clients like and want, what their idiosyncrasies, tried to help influence and tailor these pitches so that they would work better. And it was, he was not accepting of that dialogue. And after, you know, a couple lost pieces of business that were pretty sizable in nature and then really creating, it's so hard, really just not engendering any trust with his coworkers we we had to make the move and we had to let him go because we weren't getting anything out of it. And it's just like, you know, forgive me, this is like the one curse word I'll throw in here, but we, we, we've kind of developed since then kind of a, a strict no assholes policy. Like this was this was just kind of like he had no allies here, no one going to bat with him. And I think when you when you come into a leadership position, you really need to lead. And I think Jeff and I made an error in that we were trying to hire for what we perceived as talent. And I think in a lot of roles, sometimes people walk in thinking, if I'm really talented, I can do whatever I want. I can act like a jerk. I can, I can play by my own rules or whatever. And it really created a lot of enmity among the other team members here. And so when, when it came time to sort of critically evaluate performance, it just like there were no boxes checked. And that was, that was really frustrating and something Jeff and I felt very badly about, you know, that we, we really made a bad hire. It cost us a lot, of, again, cost us a lot of money in, in waste, not just in his pay, but the pitches that we paid money to, to go and put together. And in some of the eroded trust from our other team members, you know, they would look at us like, how can you have this guy here? He is making a mess of things. So I think we reacted pretty quickly. You know, he didn't linger too long. And it actually changed our approach a little bit on the creative front. And we, we made a shift in that we elevated somebody within to sort of a more junior position, but one that would basically run all our pitches. And then we started moving to a system where we are contracting on a project basis from individual executive creative directors to pitch certain specific clients and projects and opportunities. And what that's enabled us to do is to align someone's skills, experience, and passion with the right project. So you know, we're pitching projects with a cosmetics client. You know, I wouldn't use a guy who's like, you know, an automotive expert to pitch a cosmetics client, but with sort of a one-size-fits-all executive creative director, you know, we were locked into that. So there's been a benefit that's resulted of that. We're not large enough yet to have like you know, a publicist or giant, you know, company's creative department where all of those different skill sets and resources are in-house. And I think we've, we've been, we're better for it now, but man, that was, that was, that was a painful experience. It sounds, it sounds really painful. I mean, having someone on your team who is not only 
not doing their job well, but then that internal kind of piece of it where everybody's looking at it going like, we all see that this person is failing. Why are they still here? Like that is so hard. I have another client that just went through that same kind of thing where they hired a senior level person and they were trying so hard to make it work with her. They really, really wanted it to work. And at the end of the day, they had to let her go because, and when they did, and they made a big announcement to the company, everyone else was just like, yep, not surprised. (laughs) And, And even for them too, it took less than a year, but still it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I think that happens occasionally. Like, and, and I think what we've gotten a little bit better at is sniffing it out faster. And, and I think that's the burden that's on me and on Jeff now, like to try to sniff out any of those problems faster and address it in, yeah. in a more quick fashion. Well, I think, I mean, the rule of thumb is right. Hire slow, fire fast. But you also want to give people, <laughs> right, you also like to give people time to, to grow, right? You want to give people time because they, the onboarding process is long. I mean, as someone told me once, I don't remember what they were quoting, but that it takes about a year to really get into your role and feel confident. And it takes about five years to really master something. And most of us are not in jobs that long to ever, you know, really get to that level of extreme mastery. But even just that first year, right? You want to give someone time to learn and time to get into it and not just assume three months in, like, oh, they don't work, but it's, you know, the trade-offs. I mean, I don't think anybody's afforded a year anymore, but we're really, the the six-month mark for us is the point where we can really tell if somebody is long for the agency or long for the agency business or, or, or whatnot. Usually it's a six month period of time. And, you know, I think we've been lucky. We do hire for talent, you know, to use baseball analogies. We like to have a homegrown farm system. We don't, don't like hiring high price free agents that often. And, and we do think we, we are paid off in, in the growth and of those individuals. And we try to invest in people's personal growth as a matter of course. I mean, that's, I don't know. I think it's because Jeff and I are people who are pretty highly engaged fathers and, you know, it's just our values are such that we, we want to help people improve and we ourselves want to improve, but that's just, that's something, there's a very familial aspect about this place where, you know, there's a high degree of accountability and a lot of, you know, growth oriented strategies that, that we're trying to put in place to make sure people can grow. And we can only offer those opportunities to people so long as the agency is growing. So, you know, sometimes we have good periods of growth and sometimes we don't grow as fast or even like this year, we actually contracted a little bit. And so sometimes people will pop out and, and, and move on because the, the opportunity for growth has halted. The harder part is when you're growing and the next step, the next rung on the ladder is there for someone taking and that individual doesn't grow into the opportunity. That, mm. That's that been a hard thing to deal with too, sort of over time. Can you say more about that? Tell us a story or how, how you've handled it when that happens. So, you know, we've kind of gone, I, I think we kind of have really like two phases so far as an agency. We had what I would call our sort of entrepreneurial launch phase. And, and we hired for very different qualities then. Not very different qualities, but we really had to hire for people who had a little bit of jack of all trades to them and an entrepreneurial spirit to what they do. Like, you know, problem solver to the nth degree, but also kind of like a wide degree of experience. So not only could they write a communication script, they could show up at an event, they could be the part of a brand ambassador, they could get their expenses in on time, they could do high quality reporting. Like, so very few people doing a ton of jobs. And as we've grown, you know, a couple, there, there are a couple factors have happened. So 
you know, we've moved to now of a system where we have a few different departments. And so rather than sort of individuals operating in silos, we're trying to move into where everybody's operating as sort of a high-performing team with processes in place. And so there are some, some individuals from that early stage that when it came to changing their approach from keeping everything in their head to being part of a high-performing team, that that doesn't work for them. So that was kind of like some changes need to be made there and some people couldn't sort of adapt. And there are some that, you know, the other thing that's happened, you know, Jeff and I as leaders, you know, what kind of happens as we grow the agency is like every, I think it's simply like we wear a ton of hats and then every year we take off like a leadership hat. So we've taken off the, you know, one of the first hats we took off was, was for our production team and we hired a full-time director of production and Jeff and I, you know, could never produce events, build event sets, fabricate things anywhere near as well as this guy can now. So like that one worked. We took the hat off. He took it. He's built a department. It's been a great asset to the company. And then we took off our client service hats pretty much. So we have two big client service teams and, you know, we've built people who are leaders in those organizations. But when we took off, there were other people who were in client service leadership roles that when they were given that opportunity to sort of take ownership, couldn't quite do it without support. So it still required, it still required me or Jeff to sort of work for the business rather than on the business, which as an entrepreneur, which as someone who's running a business, if you catch yourself working for the business, meaning doing the daily work that your company is doing, rather than figuring out what needs to happen next to grow your business, that's like, that's the recipe for failure long-term. So those individuals didn't pan out because they couldn't move to the point where they didn't have the safety net of the reporting structure in place to take that leadership position. So there were a couple times where that happened, where we took that hat off, but had to put it back on. Does that make sense? Yes, it, it really does. And I'm thinking about the evolution that you and Jeff went through in the in changing of your roles. Can you talk just like very briefly about how you have grown or what kinds of things that you're working on and how do you show that vulnerability and to your team or not? <laughs> I think we play more the, more the part of a coach now rather than a star player. Right. I, I think I keep using sports analogies. That's really weird. But, you know, one of the things I also say is like, I'm not doing that much marketing anymore. Like my expertise is in marketing. But when people ask me what I do, you know, I'm pretty much the de facto CFO. So I write checks and our job is to hire and fire people. Like our job is to build great teams that can do the work and bring business through the door. So you know, I don't know how good a job I do in terms of vulnerability, but I try to spend my time, you know, the, we have a culture of managing by objective. So I try to manage my teams by objective rather than micromanage to empower them to be leaders themselves. And, you know, I, I just, I ask a lot of questions. So I'm really not that close for the business. I think there was a time where, I'll come back to this sports analogy where I was that star player or Jeff was that star player. And I think there's a, there was a shift that happened at some point when I realized in order to grow the business, I needed to hire people that were better than me at everything. So, and I think that's hard for some people. Like there was a time in my life where I really wanted to be the smartest person in the room. And occasionally I still want to be the smartest person in the room. You know me, (laughs) I'm sure you've seen that part of me come out occasionally, karaoke or whatnot. 
but it does not serve me well. So, you know, someone that needs to have vision and look out over sort of, you know, all the entire operation, I'm best served when everyone I hire is better than me. And I can totally be comfortable with that because they should be better than me. Like, when you think about it, like, I don't build events that 24 seven, like, of course, that person's going to be better than me, and they should be better than me. Like, if I have a business development director or salesperson who's doing it 24-7 and has good methods and tools and a strategy in place and a big Rolodex, I shouldn't feel bad that they're able to generate business for us. And like, I wasn't, but there was a time where I would feel like I'm not doing my job if somebody could do a part of it better. And but that's okay now. Like, I'm much more okay with it. Like, I want to hire people who are really good, who are better than me, who I can be so thankful that they're working for me because, you know, I, I need that. We need that. You know, there's just, there's too much to do for an ego to get in the way. And I, I'm, we're really lucky. We have a really strong team. You know, the, 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 the person who runs my operations team, she like, she runs this whole company. Like it, it runs. I don't do anything. I, I really like the lights are on, the IT system's working. People have computers. People are onboarded in our system. Our computer systems work. Our hub works. And all those, con- all those part-time employees, they all magically get paid. She does that. Great director of finance. Like He came in and he's like, do you know that you could do this and save a bunch of money if you did this? Do you know I could probably manage your money this way? I was like, sounds great. Go for it. And that's such a wonderful like, weight lifted to, to recognize like all these people are truly invested and they're doing great work. But I, I think that the sort of shift in approach for me just, you know, as, as a leader has come from the point of just like recognizing that the skill that I need to bring to the table is not to be able to do anybody's job better than them. It's just to be able to, you know, see into the future a little bit and make sure everybody's got what they need to succeed. I think that is the perfect place to end. I mean, I, I, I don't, there's nothing left to be said. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, there is really one more thing to say, which is where can people learn more about your business and keep up with going on and hire you if that's what they're interested in or anything else? Sure. We have a website. It's SohoExp.com. S-O-H-O-E-X-P.com. We also are active on social media, a good social media partner. So all our handles are like at SohoExp. We are on Instagram, we are on where you can see lots of great pictures of our events, occasionally on Twitter, less and less on Facebook. Try to be active on LinkedIn, but all those places you could find us if you if you need to. And awesome. if people want, they can email me or email our info at Soho EXP if they have any questions. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rick. This was, you know, I, I said when I started, like I think so highly of you, and I feel like this went even better than I had hoped, which means that you really are awesome. And this was a great conversation. So thank you for sharing. Thanks, Mamie. Thanks so much. So I loved this episode and I plan to do some additional interviews like this with other managers. So thank you again for the suggestion. Now, don't miss out on the upcoming coaching call with our prior guest, Wes K.O., happening on Thursday, October 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern. To join, you need to become a member of the Modern Manager community on Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash modernmanager. Memberships start at only $5 per month. And if you can't make the call live, you can submit your questions directly via Patreon 
or you can send me a message on LinkedIn and we will share the recording afterwards. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.